4: today's story is tough it hinges on this one really important question can people especially the people that you love the most change more specifically can you be the one that changes them our producer Ramsey and I have been going back and forth about this for about six months now ever since we started reporting this episode Here's one of our conversations.
5: I'm very skeptical about whether or not this guy is is true or not. I mean, I want to believe he can change. I want to believe we all can change. I mean, what do you think?
4: I don't know either. I know my mom married my dad when he was this bad boy, and she thought she'd change him, and she didn't. I've never seen it happen in my life with my friends, but I do want to believe it's possible. Don't you kind of want to believe it's possible?
5: Yeah. I mean, I I totally believe in second chances, and I want to give this guy a second chance. I want to believe Duke. But this story makes me nervous.
4: Today's episode begins with Duke. If you search for Duke Schneider on the internet, you're going to find some pretty alarming things. But you'll also find a beautiful love story. He was once known as Pitbull, and when he describes himself, he says he used to be one of the most evil men on the planet. This
6: is him. I was not only a neo-Nazi, but I was a co-leader of the largest neo-Nazi organization in the seven continents. And that I'd been doing that straight up to that very point.
4: That organization was the National Socialist Movement. And we need to explain a little more about who they are and what they do. To do that, we called Heidi Barrick from the Southern Poverty Law Center. They study and track groups like this one.
7: The National Socialist Movement is one of the largest neo-Nazi groups in the United States. It's been around for decades, and it's um, explicitly pro-Hitler. This is the kind of organization that wears uh, sort of brown shirts and swastikas at rallies. They hold quite a few rallies. And they push for, you know, Hitler's agenda, essentially, the genocide of the Jews and so
4: on. In the National Socialists' own words, and this is coming straight from their website, they say, We demand that all non-whites currently residing in America be required to leave the nation forthwith and return to their land of origin, peacefully or by force. But Duke claims he's different now, no longer one of the neo-Nazis, no longer evil, and he says he's changed because of a woman, his wife Catherine. I'm Joe Piazza. This is Committed. Okay, Duke, I have one really important question to start with. Should I call you Duke
6: or Pitbull? Well, they've been calling me Duke since I'm a year old, and uh, they've only called me Pitbull from uh, age uh, 35. <laughs> so Duke is acceptable.
4: Okay. Okay. Catherine, what do, you, what do you call him? I call him Duke. Now, Catherine, can you describe to me a little bit, since this is audio and we have to describe things— what does Duke look like? Uh, a big, uh, gentle teddy bear. Now, Duke, can you tell me what Catherine looks like?
6: You know, what Catherine looks like to me, well, she's a, a full-figured, good-looking, very self-respecting, and unbelievably extremely sensual, coffee-colored uh, woman. You know, she has her hair done like in a long uh, cornrow, Doesn't go anywhere without uh, touching her makeup. Up.
4: Duke's description is pretty accurate. Catherine is this beautiful and regal black woman. Let that sink in for a minute. Knowing what you know about Duke's past. The two of them met when Catherine was an actress starring in these lower-budget horror movies. She was signing autographs at a chiller theater convention... That's this small horror movie convention, and Duke was there doing security. He impressed Catherine as someone who could protect her. He was a big guy, a strong-looking guy. This is Catherine describing the first time she met Duke. I had a stalker following me at the show.
8: And then I also told him about I was in an um, abusive relationship, so I also need a bodyguard just in case my ex-husband was looking for me.
6: She was a woman that really seriously needed physical protection. She did get out of a very, very abusive marriage, whereas I believe that, uh, as it was told to me, her life was threatened in the courtroom in the course of the uh, divorce, and uh, she was fearing for her life.
4: One of the things that I think is important here is that Duke is the kind of man who needs to feel needed, who needs to feel useful. And there's a reason for that. We should back up to learn more about Duke. He had a really rough childhood. His dad abandoned his family when Duke was just a
6: toddler. My mother hated me because every time she looked at me, I reminded her of my father. And I was beaten practically on a daily basis and reminded that I was not wanted. He goes through life as this
4: guy kind of desperate for a family. Desperate to fit in somewhere... To feel wanted. When he left home, he met a girl and got married, maybe too soon. He started working for the phone company and started a family.
6: she got pregnant for the third time, and we definitely needed extra money, and I wasn't getting it from the company.
4: That's when he started wrestling for money.
6: I ran across a wrestling uh, trainer and professional strongman who uh, trained me for the uh, wrestling ring. I had my first match when I was only four months into uh, ring training, and that turned out to be rather successful.
4: And here's how he got the nickname Pitbull. He got into the ring with an opponent who was way bigger than he was. This guy was topping 300 pounds.
6: He pulled out a chain from his overalls and caught me right in the face with it, breaking my nose in two places. And it was the shock of his life when I didn't go down. But what I did was I just grabbed the chain out of his hand, pushed him into the turnbuckle, threw the chain out into the audience, and having a little boxing experience, I worked his face over like a speed bag. When the doctor examined him in the locker room, the first thing the doctor said was, it looks like a pit bull tore into him. And the promoter said, yep, I'd say that's accurate, and the name sort of stuck.
4: After that, Duke started working at Rikers Island Prison in special operations.
6: I was a New York City corrections officer from 1979 to 99. I'd seen things there that would give the bravest man in the world critical nightmares.
4: After Duke retired from Rikers, he started working as a private security guard and bodyguard. His marriage had fallen apart. He had a bad divorce. That's when Catherine tried to hire him. Duke told her that his hourly rate was between 25 and $40 an hour. And that was really steep
6: for Catherine. So I told her that, well, I'm going to do something that I've never done before. I'm going to scratch the uh, fee, but I will definitely uh, let, look after you. I told her at the beginning of everything, when I told her that I'll, you know, I'll take the position as bodyguard. I made her a promise. No one in the world is ever gonna hurt you again.
4: Imagine if all of a sudden, after being treated terribly by men, abused, stalked, there's this guy who treats you like a queen who's tasked with protecting you. There's something incredibly romantic about that, right? Of course, Hollywood thought so too.
8: I was falling for him. I was thinking about the mobile bodyguard, but he wasn't at the time. It was like nerve-wracking trying to hold everything in. But I'd gradually smile at him and give him a
4: hug. But romance was the last thing on Duke's mind. Like I said, he'd just finished up a messy divorce from a woman he'd been married to for 23 years.
6: I never once thought of uh, Catherine as a romantic interest. I was just a machine. I had no real feelings at the time. Unfortunately, Catherine did.
4: So Duke would protect Catherine during the day, and at night, from about 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., he would work as a security guard. Then one day, when Duke wasn't with her, Catherine was riding the bus, and she got harassed by this group of men.
6: Several skinheads were on that uh, bus, and they spotted one lone black woman there, and right away they started verbally uh, bantering her and abusing her.
4: This is all Duke's version of the story. That's all we have to go on. He told us he wanted to exact some kind of retribution on Catherine's behalf. But he didn't know where to start. Here's Ramsey.
5: I mean, shouldn't he have just called the police? That, that probably would have been easier.
4: Maybe, but Duke didn't think the police would do anything.
6: The only thing they'd want to know is, was anybody assaulted? Was anybody a victim of a crime? And if it was all verbal, needless to say, it'll just go right through one ear and out the other.
4: Now, he didn't know the names of the people who harassed Catherine. He just knew that they were what he called skinheads.
6: Was I going to jump on every city bus in the area and try to find them? Even if I did find them, what was I going to do? Was I going to beat them all up? Oh, yeah, certainly. I most certainly could have done it physically. But then again, I didn't like the idea of winding up with a criminal record.
4: And to Duke, the most rational thing to do was to infiltrate what he believed were the local skinhead
5: organizations. So he was going undercover?
4: Yeah.
6: Got on a laptop and I started looking up uh, other neo-Nazi groups and organizations that could possibly, as a member, if I could get to the inner circle, I could get a, uh, I can get a line on skinhead activity in New York, find out about it, observe it, and report any of their criminal activities to the police, which was definitely my first and in full intention.
4: It wasn't exactly hard for Duke to pose as a National Socialist. Growing up, he'd been obsessed with documentaries and books on Nazi
6: Germany. Chances are I knew more about the origins and the operations of uh, Nazism and the Third Reich than some of our scholars have. I have learned enough where I could have practically rewritten history books. When I uh, contacted them, they did not hesitate to send me a membership uh, application, which I made out immediately and sent in.
4: He attended his first uniformed rally in 2005 in South Carolina. The uniforms look exactly like something you'd see in a documentary from the rise of the Third Reich.
6: The original uniform that I was given was the brown shirt uniform that you saw the original stormtroopers. Same thing, same design, same swastika armband, same military boots, jodpers, shoulder strap. It was identical. And that was the original uniform.
4: Duke soon hit the rank of corporal for what they said was meritorious service. He was given another uniform.
6: That was the black and silver uh, uniform of uh, the SS that uh, you see in the documentaries and in uh, history books. Same design, nothing changed, same death's head uh, on the uh, cap. And uh, these were uh, by far the most elite of uh, the organization, the most disciplined The organization had me, and I was busy with it almost on a 24-7 and basis. I'd become part of it, I'd become part of the machinery. And then soon after, I was promoted and given full command of the SS division. They were just the same as they were when they were formulated back in uh, 1933 in Germany during the Third Reich. They are still, in my opinion, the most elite.
5: This just seems like a lot more than Duke had to do to get back at the skinheads that harassed Catherine.
4: The way Duke tells it, the whole thing took on a life of its own. Remember when I said that Duke is a man who needs to feel needed and useful? Well, kind of like Catherine needed him, Duke decided that these men in the National Socialist Movement needed him too.
6: They were totally and completely undisciplined, without rank, without adequate leadership, without anything of that nature. When I took command, I started putting out written directives and letting everybody know that there will be no lawless or unlawful or illegal behavior tolerated by this group or by this organization in general. And one bad apple will destroy the entire barrel.
4: And Duke, I read a story about you where you said that you think you became one of the most evil men on the planet. Is it true?
6: Yes, and I won't deny that. To this moment, I will not deny that. I was following the leadership of Adolf Hitler, and we don't have to elaborate as to what it is that he did. And that, as far as I'm concerned, made me a very evil person
4: now is a good time to take a break. And when we get back, we'll find out what Catherine thought about all this. So last we left Duke, he was an officer with the National Socialists. He'd risen through the ranks. He had the same uniform worn by the top brass of Hitler's army.
6: Even though I was not out to hurt anyone, even though I harmed no one, even though I was always as much of a gentleman as I could be, to follow that kind of example is definitely nothing but evil. No matter what excuses you make, It was a very evil turn on my part.
5: But is he still Catherine's bodyguard?
4: He's actually still Catherine's bodyguard. She knew what he was doing, but she also thought he'd joined for the right reasons. He told her that he'd joined to try to fix them, and she wanted to believe him. And remember, she's in love with him, and sometimes love gives us these rose-colored glasses. She believed Duke was a good person, even when he was one of the most evil men on the planet. She believed that eventually he could change.
5: Does Duke know she's in love with him at this point?
4: No. He has no idea. And even though Duke had been the one tasked with protecting Catherine, with saving her if she needed saving, It ended up being Catherine who saved him. See, Duke went to the doctor for a routine checkup. The doctor found something strange in his throat and sent him to an endocrinologist.
6: I had an 8-centimeter tumor in my throat that had completely engulfed my thyroid gland and was now interfering with uh, my larynx. Well, they got right back to me the following day after biopsy, and they told me. It's cancer.
4: Duke had one thought in that moment.
6: God was punishing him. That was the first thing that hit me, because it had reached a point I had just been promoted again. There I am feeling like I'm on top of the world looking down at creation, because I'm in charge of a full-scale army.
4: When Duke was getting ready to go into surgery, there was only one person he wanted at his side, and it wasn't any members of the National Socialists. It was Catherine
6: first thing I said to her was, I'm going to die, Catherine. You know, she grabbed hold of my hand and she told me, she says, no, you don't have cancer, you're not going to die.
4: Catherine convinced Duke he had to do two things. He needed to talk to his pastor, and he needed to renounce the neo-Nazis. It was time. And Catherine was finally ready to tell him something else. She was finally ready to tell him she was in love with him. I'll let her tell you why. It was nerve-wracking,
8: but I couldn't say anything because he was involved in the movement. And the people in the movement didn't like race mixing. I would look at his picture and think that somebody would be shooting at the commander and Duke get in front of the commander and get shot from himself and it won't make it home. And I was also praying that he leaves the, the movement.
4: Why were you praying that he would get out of the movement? So he could live a normal life. Did you think he couldn't live a normal life while he was in the neo-Nazi movement? Yes. Why? They put a lot
8: of demands on him. They were moving him further away from his home, you know,
4: and they were taking over completely. Once she knew that Duke was sick, she didn't want to let him possibly pass away without telling him how she felt.
6: The you know, pastor drove me to the uh, hospital that uh, Tuesday for my surgery, and Catherine accompanied him, of course. And just before they uh, took me in for surgery, she uh, she hugs me and she tells me point blank, she says, listen, before you go in there, I want you to know, I've been in deep love with you ever since. You took my job as a bodyguard, and I just simply couldn't say anything about it because of the things that uh, you were involved in, and I've just been walking around with this, uh, you know, bottled inside myself all this time. But if I'm going to tell you, I better tell you about it right now. That also gave me a better incentive to try to come out of this uh, surgery alive and healthy, if it was at all possible.
4: Let's take a quick break. When we get back, Duke will be out of surgery. And we'll find out if love really can change a person. Catherine was right by Duke's side when he went into the hospital for his surgery
6: She insisted that I was going to be okay She was reading that Bible just about every hour and praying constantly For the very first time in my life I was shocked to see that somebody really cared that much for me Because nobody in my history, my family, really cared about what happened to me
1: The
4: operation was supposed to remove the thyroid gland and the tumor. Both Catherine and the surgeon were waiting there when Duke woke up. The surgeon had examined all of Duke's lymph nodes by that point, and he had good news. All the cancer appeared to be gone.
6: That hit me. At least I knew I was going to live. And that's when uh, I took Catherine's hand. I took her hand in mine, and I said, you know something? As soon as I get my strength back and I get dressed, I'm going to marry you. And uh, (laughs) I didn't tell
4: any lies. So, Catherine, you were in love with him this whole time. But you were also afraid. Were you afraid for your safety? No, I was afraid for him that he might get hurt, you know, in the movement. And she had a right to be afraid. Duke was a high-ranking officer in an organization that despises Black people. The National Socialists don't believe in race mixing. But it isn't easy for people to leave these kinds of movements. Here's Heidi from the Southern Poverty Law Center again.
7: They are absolutely a hate group. I mean, just starting with the name alone, National Socialist Movement, which is picking up from the Nazi ideas and their positions on race, on uh, Jews, they're explicitly anti-Semitic. Their alliances with all kinds of organizations that don't like Jews, don't like people of color. There's no question that this is a group driven by um, hateful ideas.
6: Here's Duke. They still do, I'm very sure, see me as a race traitor, as a race mixer, things of that nature. I'm quite sure of that, but nevertheless, I would much rather have these people hating me for being honest and forthright than have them hating me for being a deceptive phony. Frankly speaking, I really, I really didn't care how anybody felt.
5: But it isn't easy for people to leave these kind of extremist movements.
4: No, it, it isn't at all. And there's even some science that says it's like an addiction, that it's actually really easy for people who've left these kinds of extremist movements to relapse. Here's Heidi again
7: do frequently leave the hate movement. That's not an unheard of thing. Oftentimes they meet someone of color and realize that their ideas are misguided, what it's done to them, what it's made them realize that their views are problematic. So it's not unheard of for people to to leave these organizations. But it is not an easy process to be de-radicalized, particularly if you were openly identified um, as a member of a group like the National Socialist Movement.
4: Duke says he made a clean break. They got married two weeks after his surgery. One of the members of their church posted a photo of the happy couple online. That's how Duke's former cohorts in the movement found out that he'd married a black woman.
8: Somebody from the church posted a picture of me and Duke. They thought that I was a white woman that painted my face to look like a black person.
4: (laughs) The other members really didn't believe it. Duke was their leader not what they thought of as a race traitor. When they figured out that Catherine's face wasn't painted, they thought someone had photoshopped the picture just to slander
6: Duke. What it was, basically, was that many of the people who saw this all thought that this picture was um, a double exposure, it was a touch-up, it was some kind of a propaganda tool that's being used by the enemy. And a few people had emailed me and asked me, you know, what's going on there? And I told them, I said, no, this has nothing to do with propaganda or the enemy. That woman is my wife. Yes, that's my bride. And I'm not telling anybody any lies. Leastwise, I got a very, got a very unusual uh, email from, uh, so, you know, from another member. He says, well, captain or ex-captain, if you had to marry a black woman, at least I'm glad you married a very good-looking one. And, and I thought that that was quite a compliment, coming from a you know coming from a Nazi.
4: Duke got rid of all of his Nazi books and DVDs. He sold all his uniforms, except for a couple of helmets and a pair of boots that he says he wears when he's shoveling snow or washing the car. At Catherine's urging, he found a new career. I'll let him be the one to tell you about it.
6: Well, <laughs> you better sit down for this one. Back in 2015. I uh, joined a uh, different uh, company that had a contract in with uh, a number of uh, yeshivas, Jewish uh, centers, and uh, synagogues. And I've been working as a um, security officer at a synagogue in uh, Brooklyn. And uh, I'll tell you something. That job is not like any job I've ever had before because these people, they treat me like I'm family. I wish my father was like this rabbi. Now, I feel that somehow, some way, that this is a means of making restitution than to protect the Jewish members of a synagogue as well as the synagogue itself. I'm here to serve and protect, and I do it proudly.
4: I want to hear this as a great love story, as Duke coming to his senses because of the love of a good woman who was able to change him. That's how I want to see it. Ramsey talked to Pablo, Catherine's son. He didn't want to be recorded, but he told Ramsey how much he loves Duke. Does Pablo think that Catherine changed Duke?
5: Pablo does feel that, but it's also that I think Duke has been looking for a family that can accept him, and having Catherine's love and as well as the, the love he's felt from Pablo and his family has definitely changed him as well.
4: Duke and Catherine seem so happy and in love. He keeps
8: me smiling every day. He will wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and tell me he loved me. He calls me gorgeous. He spoils me like crazy.
6: That's um, 100% true. You see, you have to realize that she'd been through pure hell a good many years back. Considering everything that she's been through, I figured, well... I'm going to compensate for all that misery. I'm definitely going to be the best husband that I possibly uh, can be to her. I venture to say that every day and every night is just another honeymoon. For the first time in my life, I'm very uh, happy.
4: Do you feel like in some ways your love helped to rehabilitate Duke? Yes. How so?
8: It definitely did with all my prayers. Uh, I'm glad that he's on my side.
6: Her love most definitely had a tremendous impact because most black women want no associations whatsoever with anyone who's involved in uh, any form of uh, Nazism. But nevertheless, she stuck by me all the way through it. Now, even as, even as a wife, so many people talk to me, you know, they remark about how devoted uh, she is as a wife. Now, I, I simply don't know if every interracial marriage is uh, as joyful as uh, mine. I would only hope that uh, that it would be. You know, I try to be as good a husband to her as she is a wife to me.
4: Well,
8: He's very romantic. He would dedicate music to me on the radio. What songs does he dedicate to you? Like old love songs.
6: See, I remember once I called in and I uh, dedicated a song... And uh, the uh, female disc jockey I forget her name, you know, she says, well, what song? Oh, her
8: name was Brenda K. Starr.
6: Brenda K. Starr. And uh, uh, she asked me, she says, uh, okay, what song are you uh, de- dedicating to your wife? And I told her, I said, uh, Night to Remember. And before she says to me, she says, oh, you nasty boy, you, <laughs> you know.
4: Ramsey, you talked to Duke's pastor, you talked to the rabbi at the synagogue where he was working. What did they have to say about him? Did they think that he was a new man?
5: They did, and the pastor told me that if Duke wasn't willing to change, he wasn't going to marry Duke and Catherine.
4: I mean, it's easy to be skeptical, and my first instinct is always to be skeptical. But... I also want to believe in the power of love. Ramsey, what do you think?
5: I honestly do think love can change someone. And I look at my own life and I see the love I have for my wife, and it does make me want to be a better person. This episode was hosted and reported by Joe Piazza. Special thanks to Duke and Catherine Schneider, as well as Julie Douglas, Lane Pickett, and Heidi Byrick from the Southern Poverty Law Center, and The People Over at Life After Hate. It was produced and edited by Ramsey Yunt, with additional editing by Tyler Klang and mixing by Tristan McNeil. The executive producers are Joe Piazza, Mangesh Hatikater, and Will Pearson. Theme song and music by Tristan McNeil. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, send an email to joe at committedpodcast.com. That's J O at committedpodcast.com. Or you can also call us at 404 404- nine nine six one one seven three. That's four zero four nine nine six one one seven three. Committed now has apparel. To check out our store, visit Tpublic.com slash committed. That's Tpublic.com slash committed. Committed with Joe Piazza has been a production of the House Stuff Works family produced in our studios located in Atlanta, Georgia. You can grab a copy of Joe's new book, Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win on Amazon or wherever books are sold.